Sometimes you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you good news. Your blood pressure's good, or uh, you've been losing weight, or you've been taking your pills. Good on you. You know, sometimes you get good news. And sometimes the doctor will tell you not so much what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, right? He'll tell you, he'll tell you the truth. Like, uh, your blood pressure's too high, we're going to have to do something about this, your knee has this, you know, that kind of thing. This is a message about <laughs> not so much good news as um, a warning. This is kind of the, t- this is the tough, for preachers there are easy sermons and there are tough sermons. And for me this one is a little tougher because the topic's a little tougher. We've been walking through the Ten Commandments. And um, the, the first few, you know, have one God, that's, that's pretty easy, and, and no idols, that's pretty easy, and, and so we've kind of been walking through, and today we've gotten to a commandment that's tougher to talk about, and that's the one about not committing adultery. And so, uh, here's the thing about that particular topic, it has touched, it's likely to have touched everybody in this room, in some way or the other. Uh, some people are, were in a home where uh, something like that happened and you still feel the, the, the pain of that and the resentment of that. For some of you, it happened to you. Somebody cheated on you and you uh, bear the scars. They're emotional, spiritual scars. For some in this room, uh, you have been the perpetrator and it's tough and we live with guilt sometimes when we do things like that. And so, today is a day where we're going to look ahead. We're not going to kind of look at the past and what's happened in the past. If you feel guilty for a sin you've committed in the past, it's, not, it's either because you haven't asked for forgiveness, or you've not accepted forgiveness. Because the Bible is very clear. If you confess your sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And... In my mind, I think about that. Uh, when I work out in the yard, and the other day I was working out, and we had you know, mulch, and you get, you get dust all over you, and, and dirt, and it's just, it's just a messy job. And I think about when I hear that language, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, it feels like going and taking a hot shower after a day working in the dirt. And when God cleanses us spiritually, He, he takes it, all that dirt away. So if you're feeling guilty, that's from Satan. That's not from God. It's not, unless you've not confessed it, that is not from God. So we're going we're gonna to approach this today. We're going to look at this. What do we do uh, to not commit adultery? We're going to kind of affair proof our marriages. If you're not yet married, this is great advice for the future. Uh, this is great advice for all of us. And so that's what we're going to do today. Let's talk about, let, I want to begin with um, warning signs. Because sometimes they don't make sense, and I thought I would show you a few that I don't really think make a lot of sense. This one, I can't quite figure out. You're confused? That that one confused me. This next one, I almost didn't put it in here, but it's funny. Uh, Where are they going? It's horrible. It's really bad. This one, uh, that totally, it's only for disabled, elderly, pregnant children, and I didn't know there were those things. <laughs> so basically, it's for nobody, uh, evidently. All right, now this next sign, it really feels like the bicyclist got the better end of the deal here. You see that? <laughs> uh, I think you're, if you're riding a car, uh, you're, you're toast. Oh, this one, now this one's clear as mud. I, I like this a lot. 
That must be out west. <laughs> I giggle. Uh, emergency telephone dial 999 for Coast Guard, police, fire, and ambulance. Look at it. Would that be nine times three? I, I don't know exactly how to do that. Okay. Okay, I'm not even going to say anything about this one. Uh, it, it, you'll have to look at it. Just concentrate. Why would they put a minister's cap and ground on Route 666? That just really doesn't sound like the right thing to do. Now, when I see a sign like this, and I've seen it before in my life, I take notice. Okay? I really do. I'm not a dog guy. I mean, I know some of y'all are dog people and cat people, and I, I like dogs okay, but, but this scares me. And when we lived in Artesia, New Mexico... Um, um, our house, we, we didn't live in this I mean, we lived in this house, but we didn't own this house. There's a house that we were uh, renting that was right across the street from the church, and two doors down, there was a sign like this and a very vicious dog. At least he seemed vicious. Every time you walk by, he'd snarl at you and bark and lunge. And, and so I would walk by on the other side of the road because I didn't want to agitate this dog. I mean, this dog, it felt like he could kill you. And his name was Cujo. Uh, and uh, so I did not want to fool with this dog. So one Sunday morning, I, I get up, I'm, I'm walking to church, and I notice that Cujo's fence is open and Cujo is running around the parking lot of the church, like over there. And I'm thinking, man, my, my little old people are going to show up, and, and Cujo is going to bite somebody, and I, I really need to uh, get the owner to get Cujo back in the cage, you know, get, get him back in the fence. So I go up to the house, Cujo's house, and I knock on the door, and as soon as I knock one time, <laughs> Cujo turns... And as fast as Cujo can run, with saliva coming from his mouth and tangs, uh, fangs uh, snarling, he makes a beeline for me. Now, at this point, I don't think clearly. Because what I should have done is gone out there and closed the gate. That would have been really, really smart. What I do is I just start banging on the door with both hands. <laughs> I'm banging. It's, it's, it's like 7.30 on a Sunday morning. Guess what most people are doing at 7.30 on a Sunday morning? That guy's sleeping. And I, he doesn't speak much English, and I'm banging on the door. And Cujo, is, he is making, he is making I, I can see smoke off his feet. He is making for me. And I'm on this guy's porch, in this guy's yard, and I literally mace his dog on his porch when he opens the door. And now, there's a communication gap, and I know what he's thinking. <laughs> Why is that gringo uh, Mason um, my dog? It's like, so I tried to explain, he got out, but now the door, the, 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 the chain link fence is open, but I could have opened it. I mean, I don't know what that guy was thinking, but anyway, whenever I think of this commandment, you must not commit adultery, I think of that dog. Uh, it, it's dangerous. You know, dogs sometimes are nice and, and they're, you pet them and it's great, but there's a danger to some. Sex is this beautiful thing that God has given us. In, in the confines of marriage, there are boundaries for it and God has given it to us and it is this great gift. These two, there are these two gifts that God gives us. Marriage, uh, there's nothing like marriage. 
There is this, this joining of two people together to form a, a life and a bond that is inseparable. And, and you get to walk through life with somebody you love. It is a beautiful thing. And sex in, 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 inside the confines of, of marriage, this is something God is... These two gifts of God, God has given us. And Satan attacks those two gifts. And, and so today we're talking about what, is, what do we do uh, if we don't want uh, the damage of adultery to, to, to penetrate our lives, what do we do? Because let me give you a couple statistics. The number one cause of divorce in America is infidelity. When there is an affair, about 69% of the time, that's <laughs> 7 in 10 marriages break up when there is an affair. And if somebody leaves a person to go marry the person they had an affair with, those marriages last about 5% of the, of the time. In America, about 20% of men, these statistics are all over the place, but this is the one I found that I thought was probably about right. 20% of men cheat, 13% of women cheat. And here's the thing about cheating. There's a verse in the Bible that says, Be certain of this, your sins will catch up to you. In 2015, there was a, a breach of data uh, of a company by the name of Ashley Madison. You may have heard of Ashley Madison. Their slogan was, life is short, have an affair. And so what they promised to their constituents was, if you come to our website, you can have a discreet uh, encounter with someone else who's married, and you can have this affair and nobody would know, except in 2015, everybody knew. Because they began to publish who was at the website. And it was politicians, and it was leaders in the community, and it was CEOs, and it was teachers and professors, and it was preachers. And people's careers were ruined, and lives were ruined, and some people committed suicide because of the shame of that breach. Beware, be certain. Your sins will eventually catch up to you. I heard about one young preacher. Now, young preachers, and actually all of us preachers, we're always looking for illustrations or uh, stories to tell at church because uh, part of sermons, uh, part of sermon uh, delivery is um, keeping uh, the audience's attention. It doesn't matter really what you have to say. Uh, if you, the people aren't listening, it doesn't, it doesn't do you any good. And so you've got to have good content, but you also have to, have to have hooks every now and then to get people to listen. And so this young guy, he went to a conference, and, and this, uh, the keynote speaker was this pastor of this huge megachurch. And the pastor of the huge megachurch gets up, and he begins his sermon like this. He says, ladies and gentlemen, I must confess to you today that some of the best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And everybody, I mean, dead silence. Kind of all the oxygen out of the room. And he said, that other man's wife was my mother. And everybody laughs. Like, oh, that's so, that's so funny. So this young preacher's like, oh, that's great. That's great. I'm going to use that. Now, he goes to his church. You know, he's young. He's not too experienced. And he gets up and he says, folks, I have a confession to make to you. And everybody kind of perks up. All the little old blue-haired ladies perk up, you know. And he says, i got a confession to make. Some of the best years of my life have been spent in the arms of another man's wife. And there was a hush everybody's kind of chattering, you know. It's like, who could it be? And he, he, there's this pregnant pause, and he says, and for the life of me, I can't remember who she was. Uh, so, so 
So the purpose of this message is to say, okay, God has given us these gifts. Let's use them appropriately. Uh, water is a gift from God. It, it's awesome. I mean, you, you bathe with it, you water your plants with it, it's great. Uh, water is a gift as long as you contain it, as long as it's within boundaries. But if any of you have ever experienced a flash flood, I did one time. I was in a car, I drove in a creek, and uh, my car got swept sideways. I mean, you know, water is great with limitations. Fire is great. It's awesome. I love fire. It's great, but if it gets away, it, it's destructive. So, sex is this drive that God has given us. Scientists tell us, this is a remarkable thing, I learned it this week, that, uh, that the sex drive is virtually equal to our will to live. <laughs> I mean, we, we really like it. Uh, you know, it's like it's really important to us. And so, throughout Scripture, there are these warnings like this, where it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all who are sexually immoral. And when you read that, you say, beware. I've got to be aware that something could go wrong in my marriage. We live in a hyper-sexualized culture. If you've not noticed it, you're not looking. From, uh, from advertising everything from cars to peanut butter cups. I mean, they, they use sex to sell everything. And I can be watching a game or watching something on television. It doesn't even have to be what I'm watching. The commercials, everything is highly sexualized. And so today, let's talk about how to ground ourselves so that in a world that's telling us lots of things that aren't true, what does God say is true? And what he said is, you must not commit adultery. So how do we do that? If that is the standard, if God says, this is what you are to do, then how do we do what God says to do? Well, the first thing is this. I have to commit to that standard. Be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her alone. This would also apply to wives. Give your love to your husbands alone. The Bible says uh, sex inside the confines of marriage, husband, and wife. That's a beautiful thing. That's where it should stay. There's an umbrella of protection. Sleeping with a person outside of marriage says, I don't adhere to God's standards, and I'm the kind of person that would sleep with somebody I'm not married to. That's what it says. There, there was a, a story in the Old Testament. A, a, a young man by the name of Joseph my, my life verse is in Genesis about Joseph. It says, Joseph was well-built and handsome. <laughs> Love that verse. I claim that verse. Yeah, I, I know, I know it's, a, it's a pipe dream, but I, I claim it. And, and Joseph, if there was ever a cat who had a reason to stray, it was Joseph. He's young, he's virile, he's in the prime of his life. He's a stranger in a strange land. He's had a, a, a rough go of it. His daddy favored him, which meant all of his brothers hated him. His mother died young. His brother sold him into slavery. He's had to work uh, uh, in, in prison. And now all of a sudden he's gotten out and he works for a guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife is a cougar. She's on the prowl. 
She like what she see. She brings the ball hard to the hole. I mean, she is ready to go. She is looking for some action. And so she seduces him. And, and it went something like this. Joseph, honey. Come on over here to bed with me. That's what she said. She said it like that. She blinked her eyelashes. They were real long. Now, Joseph in a moment has a decision to make. What standard am I going to live by? And he says this, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? How, how could I possibly do it? Some folks will say, well, I just can't control myself. When, I get, when the launch sequence happens, I can't, I can't pull back. You know, I, once, we, once we get started, I can't stop. There's a guy by the name of David Hegg. He wrote a book called The Obedience Option. And he's dealing with this one young man, and he's, he's like, he's betting a bunch of women, and, and he's having this conversation with this young man, and the young man's like, man, when, it, when, it, when the launch sequence starts, I can't stop it. I just can't stop it. And Hegg says, okay, let me, let me present a scenario to you. Let me say, you, I walked into the bedroom, and you and your, 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 your girlfriend, you are uh, in this inevitable process, because that's what you called it, and it's inevitable it's going to happen. Yeah, okay. You're, you're, the process has started, but I say, I say, uh, hey, I've got ten one hundred dollar bills right here. I'm gonna lay them on the on the on the dresser. You you can choose ten one hundred dollar bills or the inevitable process. Which do you choose? And the young man said, Well, I would choose the money. And the point is this, a passion may seem irresistible until there's a greater passion. The, the Bible says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Well, by living according to your word. What standard am I going to live by? I determine on the front end how I'm going to live. It's like with a diet. If you're dieting every morning, you make a determination. Today, I'm not going to eat whatever it is you don't want to eat. I'm not going to eat fried chicken, or I'm not going to eat... Uh, I, every morning I wake up and I determine I'm not going to eat cheese, you know, because uh, I hate it. Uh, so it's easy for me. But you determine what you're going to do. And, and so we determine, what's the standard I'm going to live by? The second thing is this. We play the movie forward. What are the consequences if I do this thing I'm thinking about doing? Look what the Bible says. The one who commits adultery lacks sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. There is nothing that damages your emotions like sexual sin. Nothing. It hurts you spiritually. It hurts you physically. It hurts you emotionally. And there are costs incurred. Aside from the spiritual disobedient piece, there's a financial cost. Listen to these statistics. After... Ten years after a divorce, 73% of men and 80% of women experience a lower standard of living than they did before the divorce. And there's an emotional cost. Listen, for the adult, there's the erosion of trust and intimacy. And for kids of divorce, higher risks of anxiety, stress, low self-esteem, higher frequency of health problems. 
A child of a divorced person is two times as likely to be divorced. If a, divorced, a child of a divorce marries a child of a divorce, it's three times as likely that they'll divorce. It makes more sense to invest in your marriage. Desire without knowledge is not good. Whoever acts hastily blunders. Look, there's a, a good way and there's a wrong way to live life. I watch a show on HGTV called Love It or List It. Anybody ever watch that? The premise of the show, really, there's like six people. Uh, what, what are y'all watching? Anyway, uh, Love It or List It, the premise is this. A couple has a home. Uh, usually they're fighting about it a little bit. One person wants to stay. The other person wants to move. Uh, the problem is something about the home isn't to their liking. They don't like where the laundry room is, or the game room's not big enough, or their backyard stinks, or whatever. They don't like some aspects of the home. And so the premise of the show is this. They bring in two experts. One expert says, okay, it's going to cost this amount of money to renovate your home. And the other expert says, I can show you other homes and other places that would be more suitable to your liking. And so this expert who's going to renovate the home, she says, okay, what, what things do you have to have? And it's like, well, we want to have these five things. She said, well, I can only give you four for the money. And they're already mad. It's like, only four for the money? It's like, yeah, that's all I can do. And then there's always a problem, termites or something. And, and so she comes back and she says, really, I can only do three. And they get all mad. Only do three? And it's like, yeah, that's all I can do. While this little snarky dude is showing him houses. Snarky dude says, hey, look at this house. It's got everything you want. It's got the backyard and the laundry room, and it's got, it's, got, it's got bonus stuff. And they're like, well, I don't know. Not in our neighborhood. And I can't find you a house in your neighborhood. It's a whole show. The whole show. And then at the end, there's the big reveal. Big reveal. And the lady that's done the renovation, she reveals what she's done. And it's always, oh my gosh. Like, I've been in a lot of houses in my life. I have never, oh my gosh, the house. I have never, not one time. It's like, oh, that's nice. Uh, anyway, they're all, oh, I just can't believe it. It's the most beautiful kitchen I've ever, you know, it's like that kind of thing. And then there's this moment at the end where they have to decide. Are you going to stay? Or are you going to go? You going to stay with what you know now that it's better? You didn't get everything, but you got a lot of things. You know it. You know the area. You know the neighbors. You know the school system. You know it all. You're going to stay with the familiar, or are you going to go with that snarky dude? Now, I'm going to tell you the truth. I've watched that show probably a hundred times. There's a lot of episodes. And they almost always stay. I don't know the statistics on that. I really should look that up. I, I bet it's 70% of the time they stay. They almost always stay. Because there's something about it that's comfortable. If we were to invest in our marriages, even though, even though, I know, it's not everything you'd hope for. Four or five things you wish were different. You wish it was a little better here and not so much of that. But if you were to work on it and not go over there, could it not be the best solution? Which brings me to point number three. We develop 
our marriages. Look at this text. This is in the Bible. You, you're you're going to go, no, it's not. It is. Look, it's good for a man to have a wife and a woman to have a husband. Sexual desires are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them. There's boundaries, remember? We saw about boundaries. To contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in the world of sexual disorder. If there was ever a verse that applied to today, it's that verse. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeks to satisfy his wife. The wife seeks to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not about standing up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or not. In the Bible. There's a guy by the name of Willard Harley. He wrote a book called His Needs, Her Needs. I want you to look at these. The top five needs of most women, he found, and again, most women, it's not everybody, understand this is kind of not everybody, but the top five needs of most women, affection, conversation, honesty and openness, financial support, family commitment. Look at those, study them just for a second, because I want you to see how similar they are to a man's top five needs. Affection, conversation, honesty, financial support, family commitment. This is the top five needs of most men. Sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, an attractive spouse, domestic support, admiration. There's nothing in common. And this is the problem. I know what I want, and so I'm just assuming that's what she wants. And so I try to fulfill her needs the way I want my needs to be fulfilled, and that's not how it works. You become a student of your spouse. So my wife, Miriam, she's not here today, so I can speak freely. Uh, <laughs> just worked out that way, but it's good for me. Um, Miriam has a birthday in May and then Mother's Day's in May. Isn't it? Mother's Day's in May, right? Yeah, I don't even think about it anymore. Here's why. You, gotta, uh, you have the opportunity to show your affection for your, for your wife on her birthday and on Mother's Day. And Miriam makes this so easy for me because she loves flowers. She loves them. Not flowers you put in a vase. She likes that, okay? She wants flowers to plant in the yard. I love that she loves that because this is what happens when it's her birthday and Mother's Day. I get her flowers. That's not right. I give her money so she can go buy flowers. It's perfect. And she buys flowers and she's happy and she's happy. I'm happy and it works out perfectly. Now part of the deal is you have to talk to your spouse about, hey, what is your need? What are you needing? What am I not giving you? In the areas of sex, there was a scientific study done on men, and they asked them, what day do you prefer to have sex? Interestingly enough, it's every day that begins with T. Tuesday, Thursday, today, and tomorrow. Uh, it's always that. <laughs> always that. When you stood before a judge or you stood before a preacher, you said, you basically said, whatever your needs are, I commit my life to give that to you. I commit my life to giving you what you need i'm going to give you what you need you become friends with your spouse you want to spend time with your spouse my daughter my oldest or my youngest daughter is 15 years old and someday she'll move out of the house it's sooner than we sort of ever thought possible 
And when Miriam and I are found in that house alone, it's going to be a party. Uh, uh, <laughs> we're hoping she graduates early. Uh, you know, it's kind of that for us. No, I mean, you have to, someday those kids aren't going to be there, and then it's just you two. And you develop your marriage. Fourth, manage your thoughts. This is really important. Before I read the verse, people don't wake up in the morning and they're moral, and then in the afternoon they have a one-night stand or a one-day stand. You, you don't wake up moral and all of a sudden you're immoral. It's not how it works. There's a process. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away, and these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. There is a process, and it always starts in the mind. What you think about is what you become. Look at this verse in Philippians. Brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you think about the beautiful things, the noble things, the lovely things, the admirable things, that's who you become. If you think about the dirty things, the trashy things, the obscene things, that's the kind of person you become. I did some research on pornography. I was going to do some statistics here. They are just... Let me surmise for you what I found. Research has found that porn leads to more hostility toward women, lower self-esteem in women, more depression in men, and an increase in affairs. There's a direct correlation between the amount of pornography, and it is everywhere. When I was a kid, you had to work to get your hands on porn. Today, all you have to do is pull your phone out to get your hands on porn. It is prolific. Young men are seeing images and actions of young girls or women, and then they get married and their wives can't live up to their fantasies. It is destroying people's lives. And folks will say, oh, it's just innocent. Is it? The Bible says we capture every thought and make it obedient to Christ. It all starts in our minds. It just starts in our minds. And then what happens is we have a little flirtation. And then, before you know it, it becomes a physical involvement. And then we begin to justify it because the heart is deceptive, uh, the most deceptive of all things, and desperately wicked. We can talk ourselves into believing anything we want to believe. And you'll hear excuses. My needs weren't being met. We love each other. Love will never fracture another person's family. We'll, we'll hear things like, well, God will forgive. Yeah. But it is an arrogant presumption to think that God just looks the other way. Yeah, He'll forgive. He always forgives. Doesn't make, doesn't give you license. Fifth thing, this is Jesus raises the bar. We've got to set boundaries. Jesus said this. Okay, so the, the commandment is, you must not commit adultery. Jesus is like, well, that's a good starting point. You've heard that it said, you, must not commit, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, tell me, any, how can a Christian say it's okay to look at pornography and justify it by that verse? 
This is Jesus. If we had red letters, that would be red. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in, her, in his heart. Most affairs occur with people you know, with folks in the office, or church, how it works. Here's what happens. In the office at church, you don't see you see them at their best. They're, they're, they're shaven, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're dressed up, their hair's in place. You don't see them with curlers, morning breath, and diarrhea. That's not what you see at church or at work. You don't see the real person. And so we fall. And Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you, Christians, he's talking to Christians, among you, among those of us who call Christ our Savior, among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint of it. So what happens when we fall? Well, people fall. There's a, a, something to be done. We acknowledge the sin. We end the relationship. We avoid contact. Which, which brings me to the affair proofing of our marriage. The sixth thing is you've got to know yourself. I thought about my ways and turned my steps back to your decrees. I thought about my ways. I know my own heart. For me, personally, I'm most vulnerable to temptation when I'm tired. So I have to be very careful what I'm looking at, what I'm watching, what I'm looking at on my phone when I get tired. Because I could be scrolling through Twitter and something can come there that shouldn't be there. Temptation is around every corner. We are foolish to think that it's not. And so... I've got to know my own heart. I've just got to know it. I've got to know how to respond. And so I, I acknowledge my own sin. I thank, I, I thank God for His forgiveness and I accept it and then I ask forgiveness. I, in the relationship, I don't have any contact with that person. See, God loves families and He wants them to stay together. And that's why He gave this commandment. You must not commit adultery. There's a last verse today. He who loves his wife loves himself. I heard a great illustration, and I'm going to end with this. There's a difference between a covenant and a contract. In a contract, you read language, the party of the first part and the party of the second part. And it's about like a, a, a dressing, like oil and vinegar. When you have oil and vinegar, you shake it up and they kind of come together and then you pour it on your salad. But if you leave it to sit, it will eventually separate. They're two entities, but they're not together. Marriage is a covenant. And a covenant is a lot like mashed potatoes. You, know how you make mashed potatoes? You take two potatoes, you skin them alive, you cut them up, you put them in hot water. You mash them together and then you can't tell one potato from the other. That's marriage. Next time you have mashed potatoes, think about that in the view of marriage. God wants us 
to be aware. He gives us this warning. He says, don't do that. He's not a spoil sport. He's not a killjoy. God loves you so much. He knows what's best for you. And He gives us a warning sign. Because He loves you. Father, we're thankful for this message. Hard truths aren't always fun. But they are true. Help us, Lord, to abide by Your plan and your standard. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.